I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. super intense vocal fry yeah 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 i completely understand because it's it annoys some people so i'm just trying to like limit it yeah but it's very hard because i limit it constantly think about how i'm talking (laughs) yeah i've got autism haven't we (laughs) i'm deeply insecure about every aspect of me as a person (laughs) and yet i love listening to myself talk oh i think i'm the bee's knees (laughs) My voice, I'm like, who is that? She is who, the moment. Who is that sultry little piece of sunshine? Oh, um, yeah, so <laughs> I don't even know how to start this story because, like, I don't really remember my childhood. Right, right. I don't know how much I've talked about that on our channel. I know I've talked about it a yeah. lot, but, like, I feel like it's also gotten cut out a lot. Yeah, true, 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 um, true. But for the listeners, I do not remember my childhood. No. However, I do remember having a poster of Britney Spears. I think it was the cover mm-hmm. of her second album, the one that's like, um, Oops, I Did It Again, that that yes. song's from. Yes. On my wall. Yeah. And whenever I would, like, dance around my room and, like, listen to music and pretend that I was, like, putting on a show for my stuffed animals... I would always, like, dance for Britney, too. Yeah. I was like, this ma'am. This ma'am. <laughs> Which, looking back, I'm like, gay? Gay. Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> um, Can we get a gay? <laughs> and if I had grown up, like, now, where, like, teens could come out as gay and it wasn't mm-hmm. weird, and yeah. I didn't grow up in the Bible Belt, yeah. I definitely would have been, like, Britney Spears is it. Mm-hmm. Like, I was into her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up in the Bible Belt, so right. I didn't know I was, like, bisexual until I was, like, 23 years old or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Which is very funny, too, growing up, like, in a very, like, liberal, like, progressive city, because I feel like I got a similar, like, end point, but, like, different reasons of, like, being gay was, like, totally cool, um, that I didn't even realize that people aren't just, like, bisexual by nature. (laughs) I was like, everybody's like this, right? Like, I'm not, like, a lesbian, but, like, you know, everybody's kind of gay, and then I realized, like, later in life, I was like, oh, not everybody's, like, people are, like, straight. They, like, identify as straight. Yeah. It's like a thing. It's like a thing. And I was like, oh, so maybe I'm gay. I'm like, huh. (laughs) The more you know. <laughs> I, like, never wanted to be gay as a kid because yeah. that was, like, the predatory thing. Mm-hmm. You were, like, the weird kid. Yeah. I mean, I grew up... Even, like, the age difference between us was, like, a different time. Yes, it, it really was. Um, So, that's a fun little story yeah. <laughs> about my gay awakening <laughs> that was about 15 years after it should have been. Yeah. Of me. I think I would... No, I'm not going to say that. Okay. <laughs> Because that. That. <laughs> uh, that was too embarrassing. Okay. Yeah. Um, should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. So welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of the podcast, Rejects. Yes. I am Spencer. I'm Alaska. And uh, we, as we've said many a times, love to hear our own voices. <laughs> so we thought, what better to do than start a podcast? We're also like very, very mildly smart. Yes. Like, just a tad. Just enough that we can be interesting. We can, like, cognitively... <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Yes. That we can, like, actually form, like, research and write things. Yeah. Yeah. It I might be so. wrong. I do want to say up top, mm-hmm. for the entire podcast, mm-hmm. we are not journalists. No, we are not journalists. And so we do not abide by journalist ethics. No. No. <laughs> Journalistic integrity? Who is that? So... There are probably going to be times where we talk about things that are may or may not be real. Yeah. May have some opinions slipped in there, here and there, um, because we want to. We're not going to be, um, you know, indifferent to the stories we talk about. Yeah. So don't take this as the news. Like, anyone's going to do it, but don't take it as the news. (laughs) I just want people to know that we will be talking about shit as, as we read it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Because that's what's fun. <laughs> Why else would we talk about this stuff? No. Just uh, to talk about the facts? Just Ugh. to make each other laugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our first topic is Free Britney. Yes. The Free Britney movement. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can tell from the title, we are going to do a serious deep dive into this. I mm-hmm. think we're going to have like three or four episodes that are just background before yeah. we even get to her conservatorship mm-hmm. and what the Free Britney movement was. Mm-hmm. Um, this first episode is basically early childhood. We're basically only going to get through at least her childhood and the Mickey Mouse Club. Nice. We'll see how far we get after that. There's that is... already so much to unpack up there. Yes. That it, it needs to be really dissected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to acknowledge our sources. I did watch the Framing Britney Spears documentary. Mm-hmm. That one doesn't really talk about her childhood as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be more relevant in some of the later episodes. Um, it is a good documentary, but it's definitely like uh, limited in mm. its oversight of right. it. Like it's not really a deep dive. Yeah, very like surface level, like yeah. brushing over everything. Even in the like dissection of her conservatorship, it is very like bird's eye view. Right, right, right. Bare bones, yeah. But it is good. Like, they did a good job. Cool. And clearly they are working from the angle that what's happening to Britney is wrong. Right, right, right. And Um, you watched that on Hulu? No. Was it Hulu? I don't remember. I was just asking. Okay. I thought it was HBO. (laughs) HBO. Okay. So, if anybody wants to watch it, it's on HBO. (laughs) I think. But it could be Hulu. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? Um, So, I did have that. The other main source that I'm using is a biography by Steve Dennis Mm -hmm. called Britney Inside the Dream. So far, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good overview. However, the guy who wrote it is very British Mm. and, like, uses euros when talking about how in debt her family was. Yikes. Uses Celsius when talking about how hot Louisiana is. And is wrong, too. (laughs) Um... (laughs) He's very, like, disturbed by Louisiana culture. Yeah. In a way that's, like, you could... This... There are aspects of Louisiana culture and, like, backwoods culture that could be disturbing. Yeah. Um, But he thinks that normal hunting is, like, crazy. Oh, my God. The British are just the worst people alive. Yes. They really are. It also means that I have read a lot of words that are spelled incorrectly. Oh, yeah. They don't know how to spell. the word favorite. Yeah. So the English are dumb. Yeah. I'll just say that up top. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but overall, it is pretty good. Um, he's definitely coming from the point of view of Brittany's dad is not a great guy, but he mm-hmm. is trying to make up for being a bad father, which mm. I feel like is not really the right yeah. tone yeah. and maybe missing the point. Like, it definitely mm-hmm. written by a man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when was this book written? This was published in, like, 2009, 2010. Okay. So, like, right after... Yes. Okay, all this, this was, like, down. right after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess there wasn't a lot about what her father was, like, post-conservatorship. Right. But just from what we're going to cover in this episode, I feel like that is a very generous view of him. Yeah. Um... But let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so trigger warnings for this episode. I'm going to be giving a pretty graphic description of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be some brief discussions of domestic abuse. Okay. Uh, mostly, like, psychological abuse. But, you know, if that's something you can't listen to, here's your warning. Yeah. To maybe just just skip this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's start. Let's start. Um, our story begins before even Brittany was born. Yes. Way before Brittany was born. Because there's so much. <laughs> there's so much that's just before she even entered the world. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with her father, James Parnell Spears. Um, <laughs> James. <laughs> uh, James. <laughs> or Jamie, as he goes by, mm-hmm. which is weird to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, his dad's name is June. Which isn't relevant to the story, but I've just never heard a man... Named June. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he was born in Kitwood, which is where Brittany is from. That is, like, her home. Mm-hmm. So he... He traveled extensively for work when he was, like, you know, a young man. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's basically a Kentwood backwoods boy. Okay. Through and through. Um, he had a pretty traumatic childhood. He had three siblings, um, two brothers and a sister who he grew up with. Mm -hmm. But when he was 13 years old, his mother committed suicide on the grave of her infant son who had died nine years prior. So she, the baby had died. I think he was only like a week old. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know how he died, but babies just die sometimes. They just be doing that. Um, and she never recovered. She had tried to kill herself three times prior 
And then one morning went to um, the grave of the infant and took a shotgun. She sat down on the grave. A shotgun? And pointed the shotgun at her heart and then used her right toe to pull the trigger. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, that's why I wanted to explain why, how she did it. Cause I'm like, it's insane. I've never Whoa. heard somebody kill themselves that way. Isn't that like the way they tried to explain Kurt Cobain dying? Like they were like, oh, he committed suicide. And they like, he was like shot himself with a shotgun like that. Maybe um, it was. Yeah. And people were like, what? <laughs> like, like, it's possible. Yeah. You just gotta be. Yeah. That's so crazy. Limber, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, if, um, you know, the people <laughs> talking about Kurt Cobain just like saw this case and was like, write that down, write that down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, and she had four living children oh when she God. killed herself. I mean, you know, like yeah. I said, Jamie had two brothers and a sister. Mm-hmm. He was 13. Um, I can oh. only imagine how you would feel as a kid when your mom like kills herself yeah. because an infant died. Yeah, that's got to be. Like, you were not enough for your mom to stay, which is not true. Like, yeah. depression affects people in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those, like, things can just be, yeah, you know, cause those things to spill over. Yeah. But I definitely think that that plays into the psychology of her dad. For sure. Um, yeah. As we get into, like, his alcoholism later, mm-hmm. I think that that's really relevant. Yeah. So he survived a car accident that mm-hmm. killed a football teammate when he was 17. He was, like, in the car. Oh, whoa. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, he was also arrested for drinking and driving and was on drugs, mm. um, while driving at 22. Okay. So he definitely was having alcohol problems yeah. before he even met Lynn. Wow. So before we get into their marriage, let's talk about Lynn Spears for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born in Magnolia, Mississippi, which is not far from Kentwood. Okay. Kentwood is at the, like, border between... Oh, okay. Louisiana and Mississippi. Oh, okay. But if you know what Louisiana looks like, it kind of looks like an L. Mm-hmm. It's at like the bottom part of the L. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So not up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she was born in Magnolia. The, you know, this, they're very close together. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom was British, which the reader yeah. really, I mean, the writer of this book really latches on to because mm. he's English. Right. Right. So he assumes that like she was proper and an English lady. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Um, I do think it's weird that she married a man from Kentwood. Yeah. And then they moved to Kentwood to open a dairy farm and like run a dairy farm. Wild. And she was miserable. Yeah. Makes and, sense. And <laughs> uh, he would never allow her to go back to England to like visit friends and family because he was afraid she would never return to Louisiana, which is probably true. It's probably true. <laughs> she probably wanted to run away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which a quick side, like little tangent, and this will come back later, but Brittany really loved her grandmother and mm-hmm. would often talk in a British accent, like <laughs> imitating her grandmother. Yeah. Um, and when this whole breakdown stuff happened, mm-hmm. there was a recording of her talking in an English accent. Yeah. Uh, which the media claimed was her like losing her mind, like right. schizophrenia, <laughs> it's like, she no. was just having a fun time, She's just, just talking a in time. a British accent. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't be weird anyways, but it yeah. especially makes sense considering her grandmother was British and yeah. so spent a lot of time with her. Yeah. Um, that makes, like, complete sense. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, really random, but it did stick to me a little bit, is mm-hmm. that when Lynn's mother arrived in Kentwood, she was very, like, crazy to mm-hmm. these people. Like, they were just like, oh, this crazy English woman. Yeah. And one of the things that she would do is, like, breastfeed her kids. Yeah. And the community thought that was, like, taboo. They were like, why? You can't do that. Which I was like, did not know that that was a taboo thing at any point. Yeah. Um, but especially in, like, the 1940s. Yeah. 1950s. That's... Like, that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, but just very, kind of a side thing that's very weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Lynn and Jamie got married in July of 1976, and this was James, his second marriage. Okay. So he was married to this woman for about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess he like abandoned her. That's what she said, like a year before they got divorced mm-hmm. and he just left. And so finally she like filed for divorce and he claimed that he didn't abandon her, which it's like, why do you care? Like, if you're not with her anymore? Yeah. I don't really understand that. All yeah. of his friends said he felt suffocated, which, yikes. Uh, yikes. Um, and then there. they finally got divorced in July, July 29th 
1976. Mm. And then two year, two weeks later. Two weeks. He married Lynn. Married her? Yes. Oh my God. Which means he was probably dating Lynn when he was still right. married. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I think that's pretty intense. Holy moly. A very quick marriage. Lynn's parents did not approve. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. But he was like the hot commodity of the town. They oh. say this in the book without a tone of irony that he was so good at sports that black men would compliment him. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, um, okay. What? Um, uh, very weird. Smells a little racist to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, Lynn was into him. So they moved in together. They lived in a trailer park. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had, um, Brittany's brother, Brian. Brian, yeah. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, had Brian. Okay, so they moved in together. They lived in a trailer park. They had their son, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book kind of talks about Jamie's binge drinking in tandem with the birth of his children. Mm-hmm. So, like, he already was having drinking problems, which is yeah. why I don't really understand this point of view, but... He was already dealing with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. His friends called him a man with a big heart and a stronger liver. That was like, people knew him as a shrinker. Yeah. But apparently when his first son was born, he w- went on like full like binge drinking. I guess it got a Ooh. lot worse. Yeah. Um, which I guess sort of makes sense with his like mother like, mm-hmm. ab- like abandoning him. Yeah. But uh, still not really forgivable. No. <laughs> in my <Yeah>. opinion. <laughs> um. So things got bad after Brian was born because obviously he was almost never home. Mm-hmm. And when he did come home, he was like drunk and he was very mm-hmm. aggressive. Like Lynn was trying to finish college mm-hmm. while they were together. Good for her. And he would like make fun of her and like mock her for trying to get her degree when he was drunk and like oh. talk about how badly she was doing as like a wife and like mm-hmm. a mom. And just, like, tear her town every time he got drunk. It was sort Yikes. of, like, the standard abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, never felt like she could really leave. Right. Fully, like, codependent mm-hmm. and, like, definitely an enabler. Yeah. Um. She, I mean, well, I, I was going to talk about this later. We'll talk about it now. Whenever Brittany was a kid, she would, like, Lynn would try to make rules for Jamie's drinking instead of like, hey, you're a full ass alcoholic mm, and right. shouldn't be drinking at all. Yeah. Um, it was like you could drink beer, mm. drink beer and not liquor. Or oh. there were certain days where he could drink mm. based on Lynn's thing, which is like definitely the behavior of an enabler yeah. for a man that is very much dealing with like alcoholism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so <clears throat> Lynn filed for divorce in 1980 uh, Mm -hmm. that following infidelity that happened on Christmas Day. So I guess he was really drunk the day before. Yeah. On Christmas Eve. And so when she realized that he was not going to be there to watch his son open presents, she left. Mm -hmm. And so he went back out, found a woman and brought her back to his, well, their trailer park. Oh, my God. And had sex with this woman. Oh, my Lord. Um, So she filed for divorce after that. She did request a temporary restraining order. Mm-hmm. She was afraid that James would become angry when he was served with the papers and mm. would harass or harm her, especially if he was drinking. Um, and the exact wording is, especially if he was drinking alcohol as he had done in the past. Oh. But basically this is framing it as he had been violent and, you know, had harassed her in the mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. If this was something she expected. Yeah. Um, I think that's very telling about the kind of person he was. Very, very. Um, before the divorce filing went through, or before they, you know, actually got divorced, I think it was about a month later, they did reconcile, which I think was probably because Lynn didn't know how to be away from him. Right, right. And that's when they got pregnant and had Brittany. Oh, okay. In 1981. So she was literally born to save her parents' marriage. Like, Ooh. she was born into a very tumultuous situation of a woman who had been cheated on to a man who, you know, with a man that, you know, abused her. Yeah. He was an alcoholic and did not really care for anyone except for his own issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, never got help for his alcoholism. Like I, I do want to say that it's like alcoholism and addiction is like a disease. It is. And I do have a lot of sympathy for that, Mm -hmm. but 
I definitely have more sympathy if it's someone that is actively trying to get help. Yes. Um, his trying to get help was getting right with God and repenting from sin. So nothing mm. that actually would help alcoholism. No. Nothing no. like AA. Not even like communal support. Wow. So I don't really have that much sympathy for him because no. I was like, you abused your family and your kids. Yeah. And it was definitely because you were drunk. Yep. And you should have been dealing with this because you're like an adult man. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's just my two cents. I don't know. <laughs> so Brittany's childhood was very tumultuous because her parents were fighting. Although. Right. So I did buy this book. I haven't read it yet. Um, called heart to heart, which was written by Lynn. Mm. And she also wrote another book called through the storm. Both of okay. them are very weird in the way that they frame Britney's childhood uh-huh. as, like, picturesque mm. and the ultimate Southern, you know, upbringing. Mm. Or <laughs> Cash. Britney's childhood was very tumultuous, obviously. She was born into a high-tension situation. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the same thing over and over again of her parents where yeah. her dad would get drunk come home be awful and then the next morning beg for Lynn to give him another chance yeah and then we would see this over and over again and he mm-hmm. was also known for having not just to his family but like most of his friends as having an extreme temper so he would be super friendly and like the nicest guy ever and then one thing would happen and he would like lose his mind yeah yeah yep, so yep. Brittany definitely grew up on edge like mm-hmm. i think it can't be understated like how children are impacted by their parents for sure emotional regulation mm-hmm. um and she was often described as like a little ball of energy like she just had mm-hmm. so much energy which Looking back, I think a lot of people realize was probably not energy, but like severe anxiety. Yeah. You know, just trying to deal with everything that was going on with her family, which is a lot for a a kid to deal with. Uh, There was an incident where Jamie was at one of their like family barbecues Mm -hmm. and had gotten super angry and he tried to drive away with Brittany in the car. She was five years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And Jamie's brother was trying to stop him from driving off with Brittany. So we reached into like the window of the car to get the keys and Jamie punched him in the face and they started like brawling in the car with like Brittany. Like in the middle. Like screaming and crying and like jumping up and down and just like freaking out because she is a child. Yeah, a five year old. Even in the memory of this, like when they're talking about, because it's the brother that told the story. Mm -hmm. It's not stated as a bad thing he's like oh us you know spears boys we always fight that's just like what we do there's a five-year-old girl in the car yeah <laughs> yeah did you forget about the other human being in the car with you it's like just like there's no like self-awareness in this story <laughs> yikes um she was constantly going to her aunt's trailer so her aunt um i think it's her mom's sister mm-hmm. had a trailer near where they lived and so she would constantly just show up at the front door of their trailer being like my parents are fighting can i just be here which is so sad (laughs) it breaks my heart like she just did not have like a safe space in her home yikes um they also lived in extreme poverty Mm -hmm. so after the infidelity they were like we can't live in this trailer anymore because lynn could not recover from him cheating on her in the trailer yeah so they bought a house and we're kind of already running low on money, but yeah. uh, Jamie was traveling for work. And so it was putting even more tension on it. So he quit yeah. that job. Mm-hmm. And they opened a luxury gym in Kentwood, Louisiana mm. for $300 a month what? for people, <laughs> which is crazy. That's insane. Even now. Yeah. Um, but this was like in the 80s. Yeah. Um. I'm like, that's even crazier than, like, Equinox. Are yeah. you kidding me? I was like, it's insane. So they opened this, you know, gym to be, like, their career. This is basically tanked. Like, they yeah. could not maintain it. And also, Jamie, who was supposed to be in charge of it, you know, he he was not. He yeah. basically abandoned the project. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't pay their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I think eventually it was um, foreclosed on, like, the yeah. land that mm-hmm. it was on. So they lived in pretty extreme poverty. They were constantly having to ask for money Mm. from friends Mm -hmm. just to be able to, like, buy food. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this is so interesting to me because Brittany, even in interviews, is like, yeah, I remember being with my family and watching movies as a kid and I felt so at peace. 
But then there are also discussions of her opening the fridge and there not being food for her to eat, which I feel like is a, she's misunderstanding her own childhood. Yeah. And she remembers her dad would go into the woods behind their house and hunt for squirrels and rabbit for them to eat because Mm -hmm. they could not like afford to buy groceries. Oh my God. Like they were living in that kind of poverty. Yeah. Like extreme poverty. So it's, you know, which is already a very poor area. Kentwood is like Mm -hmm. the, most people are not making a lot of money there, right. um, but they they definitely were yeah, like, below the poverty line quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. Um, so real quick, we're going to rewind. I want to take a moment to talk about the birth of Brittany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was born December 2nd, 1981 in Macomb, Mississippi, which is right across the border from mm-hmm. Kentwood. Um and we're going to talk astrology for a moment. So yes. if that is not your thing. Astrology you can fast forward it. Um, <laughs> so if her birth time is to be believed, I think it's from heart to heart that she talks about the birth time. Okay. And they went to like a professional astrologer. Oh, wow. Whitney and her mom did at some point. So, oh. uh, so I'm guessing this is probably pretty close to correct. Yeah. She is a Sagittarius sun, Aquarius moon, Libra rising, Sagittarius mercury, Capricorn Venus and Virgo Mars, which is my Mars sign. As wow, well. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, so that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> a bag of worms. A bag of worms. <laughs> <laughs> a quick tangent. <laughs> I actually don't remember the context of when you said that. Well, I just remember you were at the dog park and I said bag of worms, and then you were like bag of worms. And I was like, is that not right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like no, it is not. It's can of worms. <laughs> That's so funny. Though a bag of worms is a lot fresher and better for bait. So you were going for the higher standard. Yes. (laughs) So I did read a little bit about her astrology. Um, I'm very much an astrology novice. Like, I don't really know that much. Mm -hmm. So I did read this. This is from Alyssa Landers on Mm astrologypsychologer.com, which is where I got this from. So she talks about her Sagittarius sun and Aquarius moon. This is like... The combination of Sagittarius, which is a fire sign, mm-hmm. star power, and Aquarian uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a very intense pairing. Mm-hmm. And it also makes her like, people are very interested in her mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. Um, some of the other people that have this same combo include Mozart, um, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Woody Allen, and Oprah Winfrey. Wow. <laughs> which is an interesting... Group of people. Yeah, for um, sure. And she also has Saturn and Pluto and Libra in her natal first house of self. Uh, so basically this means that these planets work together to trap her in her own sense of self. Wow. Because Saturn, you know, is, is withholding mm-hmm. and, you know, the opposite of growth. Mm-hmm. And Pluto is like hidden information. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like a volatile pair to have in your yeah. first house. Wild. So she has, there's some more stuff there, but I'm not really going to go into it because I don't understand it as well. But, yeah. you know, it's some intense astrology as far as her. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Her stuff. I yeah. think it's very clear that. You know, from the astrology, she was going to have trouble yeah. with her own sense of self mm-hmm. and feeling trapped yeah. in, like, her own, you know, make-believe and, yeah. like, who she is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. just a little tangent there. Yeah, definitely <laughs> check out Alyssa Lander's um, thing on the yeah, website. Yeah, she has a full thing written up. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think maybe you could just, like, take a nap or something? <laughs> um, Stress me out. Apologize for any cat screams in here <laughs> um, or rustling sounds. It's because my cat, Cash, um, is a menace. Yeah. And um, he needs to chill out. It's something about turning on recording equipment that makes him just go crazy. Yeah. It's like, I must be heard. Yeah. Because this is usually his nap time. Oh my God. <laughs> but Stop. He, he has to touch everything in this room. Let's talk her childhood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went to a private school, which was in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie has said in like interviews and stuff that this was because he went to Kentwood's public school and their mm-hmm. high school, and he wanted Brittany to have a better education. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at the population statistics in Kentwood, mm-hmm. 
most of the black kids go to public school and the white kids go to private schools in other cities. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more likely that this is a white flight situation related to racism. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not an expensive private school. Okay. Um, I think I was looking at how much it was and it was very, very low because it Mm. is still a Mississippi backwoods (laughs) private school. But, um, and you know, obviously a very religious school. Right. Right. Which I'm sure played into it, although I doubt Kitwood's public school was the opposite of religious. Mm-hmm. This is a they are literally square in the middle of the Bible Belt yeah. here. I mean yeah. they are Do you know what kind of Bible religion Belt. like was the delineation of the um, school? Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist, okay. Uh Brittany was raised Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. although recently she came out as Catholic. Yes, like right. A week ago. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, which is really interesting. We'll do a a, a little deep dive into her religion later on. Yeah. But um Yes, there's very Southern Baptist mm-hmm. in this area. Uh, so it was probably religious at every school. Right. Uh, she went to church every Sunday, obviously. Obviously. A lot of family um, crawfish boils. Oh, okay. Yep. Which the writer of the biography calls the Louisiana version of a barbecue, which it, I guess. I mean, they still have barbecues. Yeah. Like, that's a different thing. Like, it's a boil. It's a boil. Yeah. So, but anyways, a little odd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she also worked at her great mom, great grandmother's deli, mm-hmm. um, where she would serve like the crawfish, like they sold like raw crawfish and oh. stuff. And so she would like package it for people. Yeah. There's actually a video of her. I think they filmed it for the Mickey Mouse Club of her teaching people how to eat crawfish and <laughs> crawfish boil. It's so cute. Aww. She's like a little like you know ten year old being like, you got this is how you do it. Take the legs off and. That's really adorable. That's so cute. <laughs> um, and also, she was raised basically as a twin with her cousin Laura, which is mm. her mom's sister's daughter. Mm-hmm. They were born, I think, within a couple weeks of each other. Oh, okay. Is this the aunt that had the trailer near them? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So they, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of her pictures as a kid is like her with Laura wearing like matching outfits and stuff. So wow. she did have an older brother. There's not really a lot about their interactions together, but mm-hmm. she definitely grew up at basically as a sibling to Laura. Yeah. Um, so she was a performer from a very, very young age as most people like this are. Yep. Um, she was very introverted mm-hmm. and would often withdraw into an imaginary world. She would go into her room and set up all of her stuffed animals and mm-hmm. her dolls and do like performances for them. Oh. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was very much just in her own space, which is common for kids anyways. Yeah. And common for performers in yes, general. Yeah. Very much so. And, you know, creatives, like mm-hmm. definitely relate to that. And um, I think it was made more intense by the fighting that was happening. Absolutely sort of her protected spot of being in her own imaginary world. Right. Um, and this is getting into a little bit of the psychology of Brittany, but it was definitely recognized from her from a young age that when she performed, it made everyone happy. So it solved a lot of the problems at home. So like her mom, her parents would stop fighting. Her mom wouldn't cry. Like everyone mm-hmm. would look so happy and content. Yeah. So it, it kind of became a problem solver for her life. Yeah. And yeah. also means that she took on a lot of the responsibility of um, dissolving the fights of yeah. her family. Yeah. A lot of pressure on a small person. Yes. To, you know, be the, the keeper of her family's sanity. Right. And, you know, it also means that performing became her safe space. Yeah. Like it basically became a place where she could not be touched. And that... Yeah. You know, we still see that now. Mm-hmm. Like, in the documentary, the Framie Britney Spears documentary, they talk about how, no matter how miserable she is in this conservatorship, mm-hmm. when she performs, she's always happy. Yeah. Because it's like, the people who are, you know, going to see her shows know her mm-hmm. and love her, and yeah. she feels safe. Yeah. Um, which makes it really sad that she would not perform if her dad stayed on, yeah. because it's like, she clearly loves performing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and how long it took for her to really pull that card of yeah. like, you know, making sure that her father can't make any more money off of her by like not performing. But, yeah. you know, because she loves it so much, she wasn't going to do that until right. it was like really serious. Yes. I yeah. mean, that's very important to her. Yeah. Um. So she did gymnastics when she was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, but it became sort of a like a chore for her. She mm. was like seriously good. They were going to, like, New Orleans and other places for her to go to these, like, really fancy gyms. And, mm-hmm. like, the gymnasts, like, the 
you know, teachers and stuff wanted her to be there. Mm-hmm. But eventually Brittany realized that gymnastics is a lot more work and not mm. a lot of performing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she probably could have gone on to be like an Olympian, like gymnastics. Wow. I mean, really good. Um, she's been dancing since she was two years old. That was mm-hmm. when they enrolled her in her first dance class. Oh, <laughs> a little tiny baby. A little tiny Brittany. Um, and was always singing. I mean, she has a crazy voice. Oh, yeah. Her uh, range is incredible. And we're, we're definitely going to post the video of her singing as like a little kid at the mm-hmm. church thing because it is insane. Her mm-hmm. voice is so unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but she loved to sing. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, and... With the performing, there is, like, kind of a weird relationship with her mom. So I think a lot of people see her mom as sort of, like, a stage mom. Yeah. uh, Who pushed Britney into performing. Mm -hmm. I think that this is probably not true. And Mm -hmm. the book definitely talks about this. Like, yes, there probably was a portion of it where Mm -hmm. Lynn was living vicariously through Britney. Yeah. Because she was deeply unhappy with her own life. Yeah. But Britney was very much a driving force of wanting to perform. Yeah. I mean, she was dragging her family to do Mm -hmm. this. Like, this was not something she was forced into. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about her relationship with her mom because it relates a lot to her performing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read a section of this book. But basically, when Britney was born, and I think this is said in Heart to Heart, the Mm -hmm. book written by Lynn. Lynn talks about how excited she was to have, like, a little doll to dress up. I mean, having a daughter. I mean, very much looking at it as, like, uh, accessory. So he says she was a living doll back then as much as she remains a commodity today. Mm. And we're going to see that. That's kind of a theme through Britney's life Mm -hmm. always. Like, Mm -hmm. for most of the people around her, she is seen as an object. Yeah. Less of a person, I think, even to herself. Because she didn't really have the opportunity to develop as a person as a kid. Because she was, you know spent most of her time not performing, mm-hmm. protecting herself, mm-hmm. and withdrawing, and she did not have parents who would, who could allow her to do that. Yeah. Because they were too absorbed with their own fighting yeah. to really allow space for their children to, like, develop. Yeah. Um, but I want to read this paragraph that was from a psychotherapist talking about Lynn calling mm-hmm. her a little, you know, baby doll that she could dress up. Mm-hmm. Lynn reveals much with her response to Brittany's birth because when people don't have a sense of self, they tend to objectify others and babies can be viewed as dolls to fulfill a parent's need to be merged with their child and to be in control of love. But when this happens, there tends to be trouble ahead. It's almost as if Lynn was telling Brittany, you're going to be my love object and all my needs are with you. And she wanted everyone to know how happy the first daughter made her, showing her as baby of the week. I mean, she was, like, relying on her for her emotional needs. And then you talk about this later, too, in the book of, like, because her father, Brittany's father, was so distant Mm -hmm. and never met the emotional needs of Lynn Mm -hmm. at any point in their marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, she looked to Brittany to fulfill those needs, which is not something that you do with a kid. It's like... The term they use now, they don't use this in the books, I don't think this was really talked about, but they use the term emotional incest, Mm -hmm. which is where a kid is like the therapist or the emotional support for the parent instead of like having their own lives and their Mm -hmm. own emotional growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very much managing her mother's, you know, managing her mother's issues Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. her her mother's feelings. I mean, she very, very much felt responsible for the way her mother felt of course yeah i mean how could you not yeah Yeah. in that situation i I think like and it's hard for me not to feel a little resentful towards her parents where it just felt like they were incredibly selfish Mm -hmm. and probably shouldn't have been having kids i mean you and they reflect on it and they're like oh we probably fought too much in front of the children and it's like you definitely did. That is understatement of the year. Yeah. So it's like, you shouldn't have been fighting in front of your kids at all. At all. Because, like, your emotional volatility between you two is, like, not really relevant to raising your kids. Um, and it definitely affected their children until 100%. they were told. It's like, when you look at Brittany later in life having trouble with emotional, rec- like, regulation, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine how she would even learn to do that. Yeah. Because so much of her life was spent being the perfect child so that her family would not fight. She is literally the fawn response of trauma. Like, she is... She never got in trouble. She was very quiet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people call her shy. I think introverted is a better term. Yeah. 
I think that she just didn't want to draw attention to herself because mm-hmm. attention in her house meant abuse. Yep. And so this definitely shaped her as a person. And you see this as an adult where it's like, you never learned this as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so being an adult is very, very difficult. Yeah. It's a lot more difficult than it would for someone who grew up with normal parents mm-hmm. in a supportive environment. Yeah. So that is like the bulk of her childhood information. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're kind of going to get into the beginnings of her career. Okay. This is like the very start before, you know, she was signed to any records or anything. Most mm-hmm. of the people know she was on the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. So that's going to be our focus. Mm-hmm. So she originally auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club. I think it was in Atlanta when she was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the man who watched her audition, Matt Casella, like loved her right away. Mm-hmm. He thought she was incredible. She was definitely a triple threat, as yes. he said. And... Um, Wanted her to be on the show, but the Disney execs decided that she was too young. Mm-hmm. This is the average age for kids on that show were 12 at the time, and she was only 8. So she okay. was definitely yeah. a little baby. Yeah. And even as an 8-year-old, she was very small for her age. Mm-hmm. Like when she joins the show and you watch some of the clips, she looks like an 8-year-old, even yeah. though she's 11, 12. Like, she's little. Yeah, she's little. Um, so, obviously, she was rejected from this, but it wasn't that big of a deal because, mm-hmm. basically, Matt... Casella told them, despite the fact that she was not going to be on the Mickey Mouse Club, mm-hmm. he was going to make a life-changing call for her, which is word for word what he said. Mm-hmm. And he called a talent uh, talent agency in New York run by Nancy Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a pretty famous talent agency. I think Ben Affleck went through there. Wow. Like there's a lot of, you know, child stars. Mm-hmm. Like Cynthia Nixon, I think, went through there as Whoa. well. Um, so some big stars for sure. Um, so they went up to New York to have Brittany meet Nancy. They could not afford to fly. So mm-hmm. they took a 30 hour Amtrak ride from New Orleans to New York. Wow. <laughs> which is intense. Yeah. Um, although, so this happened in February of 1991 mm-hmm. and based on these months, uh, they wouldn't have been allowed to fly anyways, but I don't know the rules rules in the nineties, but yeah. Lynn was pregnant with Jamie Lynn. Oh, okay. And she, Jamie Lynn was born in April of that year. So two months later. So Whoa. she was definitely like, you know, like yeah. seven, eight months pregnant. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when yeah. they went up there, I was like, she wouldn't have been able to fly anyways. Yeah. Maybe the laws were different in the 90s. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so they went up there. They met with Nancy. Nancy liked Brittany right away. Like she yeah. was very much like Brittany is, you know, super well behaved and mm-hmm. also very talented, very bright. She was very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um. So they kind of started just living up there part time. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynn went back to Louisiana and had Jamie mm-hmm. and then returned with Jamie, the little infant, back to New York right after giving birth wow. uh, to live with Brittany in this like shitty little apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brittany started attending the professional performing arts school. Mm. Um in the book, they claim that this is where she developed her, like, breathy voice that she uses. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like, I've read some various things of whether it was there or if it was the producers at Jive Records that really produced, like, you know, created that. Um, but, you know, that's what they say in the book. Take with a grain of salt. Um, so she went to this school, I think, for three summers. So she was going between New York and Kentwood, but when she was in New York, it wasn't like big New York City. I mean, they went from their little apartment to, you know, the performing arts school and back, and that was basically it. Um, At one point while she was, you know, in this time frame, she participated in a a singing competition called Mm -hmm. Star Search, which was kind of like an early version of America's Got Talent or like American Idol. And I think all of them were kids. Oh, okay. Uh, based on what I've seen. Um, she made it all the way to the final mm-hmm. like level. Yeah. And then lost to a kid named Marty Thomas, mm. who I looked up and couldn't find anything about. Right. Of course. <laughs> so. Yeah. Not that that was a big deal because it's like, well, well you ended up more famous anyway. Yes. <laughs> it's much like that, more famous. Uh, performance. Uh, Beyonce with like her yes, like family with, or yeah. whoever. Yeah. And then they lost mm-hmm. and it's like, but who did you even lose to? Right. Like <laughs> who are who are they? Yeah. Um she's saying love can build a bridge. I think mm. we're also gonna post a clip of this on our Instagram. It is so interesting hearing her sing. I yeah. mean she was definitely amazing. Yeah. Uh but it's so weird to hear this weird, like <laughs> like old woman voice. Yeah. 
Um, from a 12-year-old. From a very... So she wasn't even 12 yet. No, oh, she wasn't she even was 12 like yet. She was like 8 or 9. Oh, okay, okay. Little tiny baby. I mean, it was like incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the loss wasn't too big of a deal because basically it was seen by a lot of people in New York, mm-hmm. especially Nancy, who ended up getting her a position as an understudy for the off-Broadway show Ruthless the Musical. Huh. Um, she didn't really perform very much because obviously she was just the understudy. Right. And the person who was the, you know, I don't know what the word for the... Overstudy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know. The performer. The, yeah, the, the casted role. The person who was actually casted at it. Yeah. Uh, Laura Bell Bundy almost never missed a show. I think she only missed a couple times to do like other singing competitions. Like it wasn't even because she was sick or anything. Wow. Um, this woman is still famous. She was the original Elle Woods in the Legally Blonde musical. She wow. was also in like Hairspray on Broadway. Oh. So she's super, you know, talented. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it became kind of depressing because basically she was, Brittany was just there and then backstage the entire time for every single show, just waiting to see if Laura would fall ill and she'd yeah. take over. Yeah. And then the day before Christmas, it was very like, you know, just drab. And she realized he wasn't going to be home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it was just her and her mom and Jamie, Jamie Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she finally asked her mom if they could go home. Mm-hmm. And so they left New York oh. and they were done with New York. I think oh. it just like made Brittany miserable, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I can imagine loving Louisiana and then also loving New York city. I feel like, those two places couldn't be more different. Yeah. Um, especially during the winter. Yeah. When, like, Louisiana doesn't even get that cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you're in New York. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the understudy position, a fun fact, was then filled by Natalie Portman. Wow. So this, like, <laughs> um, the show had some big names in it. Wow. Although in my notes, I wrote Natalie Portland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so they went back to Kentwood. Uh, Brittany would still go to the performing arts school sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but spent most of their time in Kentwood. And then she re-auditioned for Mickey Mouse Club, um, mm-hmm. and Matt Casella, like, remembered her. She was pulled from a group of 20,000 kids who auditioned to compete with 24 other kids to get these seven spots. Whoa. Which is, like, crazy. And yeah. she made it, obviously. Yep. Um, so she was cast, and Kentwood was, like, over the moon. This is the first time anyone from Kit would have done anything. And yeah. so they had <laughs> declared April 24th, which is when she got the news, as Britney Spears Day. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I mean, they it was like the um, cable industry exploded in Kitwood because all of these people got cable just so they could watch her on Mickey Mouse Club. Like, people... It was definitely a, a tight-knit community, which I thought was really adorable. That's really cute. I love that. So she moved to Florida to film the show. They filmed it um, basically at the Disney Studios that's mm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very new, and it sounded kind of, like, crappy. Like, mm. they did a lot of stuff in, like, trailers and mm-hmm. not, like, nice trailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lived in these, like... All of the families of the kids lived in this, like, one apartment complex. It was, like, 15 minutes away. Like, it oh. wasn't a super nice experience, but for Brittany, this was, like... She was over the moon. Yeah. Because she was, you know, living in extreme poverty. The thought of even going to Disney World was, like, beyond her imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Like, her family could never afford to do that just normally. Mm-hmm. So, for a lot of the other kids that were on the show, you know, people who were adults during this time, talked about how they were, like... This is a roadblock, not a roadblock, but like a, this is a stepping stone for my career. They were like laser focused, even as kids. Mm-hmm. Brittany was not like that. They yeah. like didn't even understand her because she was like just happy to be there. Yeah. Like a very good natured, like yeah. super nice. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of teen tween drama mm. behind the scenes because obviously the entire show was like 12 year olds. Yeah. Um, of which Britney was never involved. Of course. <laughs> Good little Britney. <laughs> um, she was on the show with Carrie Russell, Christina Aguilera, uh, Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, and Ryan Gosling. Um, Wild. That's her and Christina were like BFFs. Of course. Uh, they were very close in age, and they were both obsessed with Carrie Russell, who was a little bit older, a couple years older than them. Yeah. And they both vowed to be as famous as Carrie Russell one day. Oh. <laughs> Like it's so cute. I think Gary Russell was probably like fifteen, and she had like a boyfriend. Oh and she was yeah, like the cool girl. The cool girl. <laughs> um. So that's I was thought that was really cute. Oh. Um. 
So they would film for four months and then it would air after they were done filming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a pretty intense schedule. Yeah. I mean, they would go nine to five and it was basically going back and forth between rehearsing mm-hmm. classes, which were just sporadically put in the yeah. day. Like it wasn't like a bulk of school, a bulk of stuff. It was like, you're going to rehearse. And then from nine to 10, you're going to be in class. Yeah. And et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then obviously filming as well. So it was a very intense, like, you know. Yeah. Nose to the grindstone. Like it's intense. Yeah. Uh, especially for little kids. So mm-hmm. this was Brady's first real experience with this kind of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also her first experience with PR mm. in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. For the kids who were on this, I mean, they had Disney training. Mm-hmm. So they would go and have like meet and greets at the Disney parks and they had to learn how to be Disney appropriate stars. Right. Obviously they had to have like squeaky clean you know, public images to match with the Disney energy. Mm -hmm. Um, They even had it so if they hit puberty and developed too much, they would be removed from the show. So if, like, a girl came back with boobs, she would be removed from Mickey Mouse Club because she wasn't part of the image anymore. Like, it was very much a, like, image-based thing. So this was Britney's first interaction with that, which would become a huge part of her life because... Mm -hmm. As a lot of people think, you know, she wasn't really a pop star. She was, like, a, an image. Yeah. She was created as, yeah. like, you know, this fake person. Mm-hmm. And, like, Britney the image, which is, like, a lot of what people talk about with the breakdowns that happen. Mm-hmm. And it really was a breakdown of her, like, public image. Yeah. And, like, people seeing the real Britney. Right. Um, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, let's see her. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think people were prepared for that. No. And they had just seen this, like, clean act Britney. Right. You know. Yeah. But this was her first interaction with that. So, obviously, she was taught school mm-hmm. while they were there. All of the kids were. But I thought this was interesting. So, they had one tutor who did all of the teaching for all the students. Wow. Um, and, you know, there's not that many kids. I think there was, like, 20 of them or yeah. something. Um, like, total. Mm-hmm. But they would do teaching based on the school's curriculum from the schools that the kids were in. Oh. So, like, all of them had different stuff that they were learning so that when they went back to school, they could, like, easily step back in to whatever they were learning. Oh, okay. And so he talks about, you know, interacting with these kids and how he was afraid that the entertainment industry was going to, like, eat Britney up. She was, like, so, like, just, you know, sweet and, like, shy and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um you know, very, very well behaved, obviously. Like, he, his job, he could also pull people from performing if they weren't doing well enough in school. Like, that yeah. was his thing, which he never had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with Britney, she never even got, like, a warning. Yeah. Um, but I, it was interesting. He talks about how much Christianity was woven into her curriculum. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where they were using, like, Jesus selling stuff as math problems and, like, that kind of thing. Like, religion was part of everything. Everything. Like, it was the basis of everything they learned. Wow. Um, which I just thought was kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was, she grew up very religious. I mean, she had a little Bible, I mean, a little journal she would write in every night so that God could read her thoughts. Wow. Yeah, like, Whoa. very religious. Yeah. <laughs> um, just after two years of Britney being on the show, Mickey Mouse Club was canceled uh, because mm. it wasn't sexy enough. Which is very weird. A lot to Wild. unpack. Yeah. Um, but basically they were like, you know, the wholesome image of Mickey Mouse Club was not something kids were interested in anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know the relevance of that. Um, yeah. It was kind of a weird show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, a boring version of all of that. Some of the performances I was watching, you know, they're singing, like, slow, like, sultry songs. Mm. Where I'm like, kids even really like this? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it was just not in the public eye. Like, they were definitely yeah. beyond the heyday of what Mickey Mouse Club could have been. Yeah. Um, which Brady was devastated. Right. Um, from this, Justin Timberlake went on to form in sync with another person on Mickey Mouse Club. Like, mm-hmm. he was, like, in charge of it. He was like, we're going to start this. Wow. It's like a little 12-year-old. Wow. Uh, they formed it in 1997, although the book has a typo in it and says that it was formed in 1977. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. NSYNC, the, um, <laughs> the best pinnacle 70s of, of 70s bands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love 70s music. I am a big fan of NSYNC. Um... <laughs> 
That's so funny. It's not related to anything, but I did think it was funny when That's I was hilarious. reading it. And I was like, 1977, what the fuck are you talking about? And I realized it was a typo. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brittany, at this time, also almost joined a girl group that was run by Justin's mom, who definitely oh. sounds like a stage mom. Yeah. So they started a group called Innocence, hmm. spelled I-N-N-O-S-E-N-C-E. Interesting. Uh, it was going to be five girls. Brittany was going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And they were in talks for a long time. Like, they met with managers. They had paperwork drawn up. Like, everything. Wow. And it was two days prior to when Brittany was supposed to, like, put pen to paper and sign the paperwork that they that she withdrew from the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, which happened after they had a family meeting, which was very common for them. Mm-hmm. And they decided that it had always been Brittany's desire to be a solo artist mm-hmm. and have a solo career. And so you know, they just felt like innocence wasn't the right move for her. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me because it's like, they didn't have any money coming in. Yeah. I mean, they were like dirt poor. Yeah. So something that kind of had a guaranteed income, mm-hmm. they rejected based on basically just a hunch of being like, we just don't think this is the right move, which it ended up not being. Yeah. Um, you know, Brittany definitely made it as the solo artist. Mm-hmm. So after it was canceled, she went back to Kentwood and was there, I think for about, 18 months before things started to change again. Mm -hmm. But she was very bored. Like she felt, she talks about it and she just felt unchallenged. I Mm -hmm. mean, they phrase it as sort of like, you know, her horizons had been broadened. She had gone somewhere else and like Mickey Mouse Club had really taught her what being in the entertainment industry could be. Yeah. And she really enjoyed that aspect of it. And, um, I think going back to Kentwood, she was just like, this is, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. You can't, how do you go back to being a normal, you know, teenager yes. after, you know, living the high life for, you know, a while? Exactly. Um, so she, she wanted to do something else. I mean, she wanted to get back into the entertainment industry. They weren't really sure how. Uh, so at 15, her mom pulled her out of school and mm-hmm. started to homeschool her. Mm-hmm. And she also started taking dance classes in New Orleans, like a serious dance academy. Wow. Um, her dad vowed at family at a family meeting to work longer hours and ask for loans from friends in order to fund her career moves. <laughs> this is also around the time that the gym, and you know, that they had opened fully tanked. Uh, they had to file for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, this all kind of took place when she started to get in talks with record labels. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, the like juxtaposition of her trying to get this career on, you know, yeah. on the move yeah. and her family having to like file for <laughs> bankruptcy. Yeah. And, and like just, scrap like, together money. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. So when she was doing all of this, she called up a lawyer named Larry Rudolph, mm-hmm. who, if you're familiar with Brittany at all, you probably recognize the name. He was still her, like, manager. Yeah. Up until a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, and in the book, she keeps calling him her lawyer um, yeah. that she met when she was 13. Mm-hmm. So I was really confused and she was like, I called my lawyer and then asked him if there was anything I could do. And that's how she got on the move to meeting these like record labels. Um, I think he's basically just an entertainment manager Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that worked as a lawyer. Yeah. But um, you're going to notice later on that there are a lot of men in this story who were lawyers. Yeah. And then moved into like producing in the music industry. Yeah. Which that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, so she she called him up and he basically told her to send him a demo, mm-hmm. um, you know. So she did. She recorded a demo. Although this is another case of like, I don't know who's remembering it wrong, but yeah. there are like different things said by different people mm-hmm. of what it actually was. I don't think it's that relevant. Like her mom remembers it being a recording of her singing at church. Brittany remembers it being something where she just like sang into the recorder. Yeah. I don't know. So they sent them that and he sent them back a discarded pop song. Um, I forget who it had been written from, you know, for it was someone I didn't really recognize. Mm-hmm. And um, they basically had discarded it because it was too poppy for this <laughs> artist. And so they had her record herself singing it and she had to like pay for an actual recording studio to go and record herself mm-hmm. singing the song. And then he sent that out to music labels. Mm. Um, and basically that is where we are going to pick back up next week. Cool. So I feel like this is a good point to stop because these are, this is where things get like very serious for her. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and she starts interacting with, like, some major executives of these companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week we'll get into her start at Jive Records awesome. and her first albums yeah. and really the beginnings of her like serious career cool awesome yeah. we love to see it all right guys thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the podcast rejects we are going to upload episodes every wednesday so check back next wednesday for episode two and check our instagram for posts that will be posted right after the episode goes live with um pictures videos and info about things that we talk about in each episode yep. all right see you next week bye, bye. The Podcast Rejects is a Gamer Frauds Network production. Find us on Instagram at The Podcast Rejects. For early access to all Gamer Frauds Network content and a ton of exclusive perks, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamerfrauds.